So we've been going through this series called Deadly, and it's, we've been trekking through what historically has been called the seven deadly sins. It was funny, last night we were out to dinner, and I saw an old high school friend, and he saw that we were studying the seven deadly sins. He was like, oh, that's cool. I think I might check that out. I was thinking, well, it's been kind of tough. Like, this is not easy. When you talk about sin and, and you start having things exposed in your life, that can be kind of painful, right? But it's good. And historically, the seven deadly sins have been kind of a way to categorize sins and also be a means of discipleship. Because just when you get born again, when you become a follower of Jesus, did you notice that you didn't instantaneously become like him? (laughs) It's a process, and that's called sanctification, theologically. So that's the process of us becoming more and more like Jesus on a daily basis. That's imperfect in this life. However, it should be something that every true believer in Jesus strives for to, to put off the old and put on the new. And so that's really been the heart of this. And the gospel itself, the gospel deals with all of our life. It deals with our past, present, and future. And it's good news for all of that. But the gospel intends for us to examine our present life, not our past. So when you talk about sin, sometimes maybe something in the past that you know has already been dealt with, that you've already moved on from, don't let the enemy bring up condemnation over that. But do let the Spirit of God bring conviction for today. And that's what he's been doing. And me and everybody who's taught has been like worn out after they preach because it's like, whoa, this is heavy. And yet God's good. So I was, um, we went over the seven deadly sins, if you don't know, are pride, anger, lust. That was really fun to teach, let me tell you. (laughs) Gluttony, laziness. Today we're talking about greed, and then we're going to finish out next week with jealousy. So today being greed. Have you noticed that you don't have to teach children how to be greedy? Mine, mine, that's mine, that's mine, give it back, that's mine. And I was trying to think about my life, and, and you know, when I was young, what, what was I greedy over? And, and, you know, obviously there's tons of things we could, we could look at, but from a, a, as a little boy, Baseball was instilled into my life. Um, my dad was a professional baseball player, played in college, and he passed that love on to me and, and so forth. And have you been to a, a, who's been to a baseball game before? All right. I guess I should say who hasn't, then we'd pick on you, but I don't want to do that. <laughs> but if, you, if you've been to a baseball game, who's caught a foul ball before? A couple of us, right? So isn't it exhilarating? Because when you're at a baseball game and a foul ball goes into the stands, you either duck, run for cover, like, ah, I'm going to get killed, or you got guys fighting for it, sometimes ladies too, and, and fighting to catch a foul ball because you catch it and you show everybody around you, look what I got, I'm the man, I got the ball, and you feel a moment of real pride. And I, I was thinking when I was a little boy, like third grade, we went to L.A. and we saw my first major league game was the Dodgers and the Reds. I still hate the Dodgers, but um, that's a whole other story. But the Dodgers and the Reds, and I got a foul ball. And I think I kind of got addicted to foul balls from that point in time because I have a drawer full of balls that go all the way back in time and go into many Rockies games. And I thought about like where this kind of peaked in my life and realized that maybe I had a problem. (laughs) I've had counseling since then, so I'm doing better. But 
Um, in, I don't know, sometime in the 2000s, I did a men's retreat in Arizona. And my dad met me down in Tucson. This was back when the Rockies were still at High Corbett in Tucson. And their field wasn't as nice as it is today in the stadium and all that. So we met to go to a game with my uncle and my dad and I. And we were sitting kind of in the cheap seats, and it's like high school football stadium metal, those old metal bleachers. And we were sitting there, and a ball went down the left field line, and, you know, nobody caught it. And so I got into a full-on sprint, like I'm just bolting for it. And this, I see this guy out of the corner of my eye running to the ball, too. And I'm like, no, oh, no, you didn't. I'm getting it. And as soon as I was running, I, I had my eye on the ball. I tried to, like, scissor over the back of the, the bleacher thing. Exactly. I caught my foot. And boom, and you hear this bang off the metal of the stadium, boom. And I, I was sitting there, and like my glasses were, and I was just laying there going, that just happened. Like, I'm in front of thousands of people. And so I laid there, and I gathered my, myself, and, I, and it, it went dead silent. Like, is he dead? Like, do we need to call 911? And, and so I, I picked up, I stood up. And this guy was standing right in front of me, and he had the ball, like, mocking me. And so I go, I, w- I was trying to get that ball for my daughter at home. She's in a wheelchair. So he gave me the ball. <laughs> and I felt guilty because I was going to tell him, I'm just joking, but he gave me the ball. I never really told him the truth, to be honest with you. And so I, I kind of made my way back, showed my uncle, my dad, look, I got the ball. And so a couple innings later, another foul ball goes almost to the same spot. And seriously, this is a true story. I got up, and I just walked, and no one even moved because they, they didn't want a piece of that. Like, they didn't know what they were going to get. And I grabbed the ball, and I held it up and showed everybody in my pride. And I hear from behind home plate, don't get hurt again, Pastor Scott. Somebody that knew me from my old church had saw me blow up in the stadium over a foul ball and uh, never lived that down. So my greed got me into trouble, right? Why did I tell you that? So you'd know how to pray for me, right? Um, In 1 Timothy 6, here's what Paul tells Timothy beginning in verse 6. He says, now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these shall we be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So greed is serious. And you, when you talk about greed, you could talk about being greedy with all kinds of things, your time, I mean, your talents, whatever. But what we're going to focus on this morning is being greedy over material possessions and money, because that really is at the core of it. And Billy Graham He said, tell me what you think about money, and I'll tell you what you think about God. And I think that is so true, because he's just kind of echoing Jesus in the Gospels. Jesus talked about money more than he did any other subject, because our attitude towards money and possessions is a direct 
window into our hearts. How you and I see money and possessions is a direct window into our soul. So by definition, the word greed is an excessive desire for something you do not have or more of what you already have. Greed in the Greek is this Greek word pleonexia, which literally means striving for material possessions. So I think the verses that I just read gave us five or so truths that we need to understand about being greedy and what's the problem with being greedy. In verse 6, he said, now godliness with contentment is great gain. We've said that before. We quote that. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So here's what I I think as I was pondering these, uh, a little summary of that verse is greed never amounts to true gain. However, godliness with contentment does. It never amounts to true gain. But when when you pursue godliness and contentment, that's what you really gain. How many rich and famous people have we heard of, or maybe you even know, they, they have everything that they thought was going to make them happy, and yet they're empty as all get up. They're empty. They're, they, you have, they have money. They have fame. They have fortune. They have possessions. And on the inside, they're still empty. And you're thinking exactly what I know you're thinking. I'd like to give that a shot, though, and find out how that really, really works out, the life of a rock star or whatever. But the bottom line is the more you have, the more you have to lose. The more you have, the more you have to lose. But the opposite is true concerning godliness. The more godliness and contentment we have, the more we truly gain. Verse 7 said, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. It's the old bumper sticker. Have you ever seen that? The, you never see a, a U-Haul behind a hearse, right? Because you, you're not, what you brought, it, what you have in this world, you're not taking with you. We came in, naked we come into the world, and naked we leave this world. It's just the way it is. So greed is foolish because money and stuff are impossible to keep. To try to hoard stuff and have more and more money, and I, I need more, I need more, I need more, it's foolish because it's actually impossible to keep. Jesus told a, a parable in Luke 12. Somebody talked about getting their inheritance and splitting their inheritance with their sibling. And Jesus used it as an opportunity to teach the people. And he said that, uh, he said there was a certain guy and he, he, he harvested his farm, his crops. And he had the biggest harvest he had ever had. So big, he, he was going to be wealthy. And so he decided, you know what, I'm going to hoard my wealth, and I'm going to build a big, huge barn, and I'm going to stuff all of that in there so that I'm set for life, and I don't need to work anymore, and I can just, you know, be self-centered and eat, drink, and be merry is exactly what Jesus said. And Jesus says that that night that he did that, that God came to that man, and he said, tonight, you fool, your very life will be taken from you. You thought building a bigger barn and having more stuff was going to give you security, but life can be taken like that. We all know that. Everything can change just on a dime like that, just boom. We, uh, when we had all the kids in the house, two of them out now, as a family, we used to play the game of life, you know, the, the game of life. Now, in our household, usually game night is like full contact game night. Usually because me and Janelle are pretty competitive, <laughs> um, mostly me. But uh, when we would play life, you know, you've played this game, right? 
And you start, and you have to choose whether you want to go to college or not and have the debt, or, or and then you get married, and you have kids, and you accrue a certain amount of wealth along the way, and you get to Shady Acres, right, at the end? And then when you get there, when everybody's done at Shady Acres, you count up your money, and whoever has the most wins, right? Like, yeah, hey, okay, cool. Well, what happens as soon as you win? You put everything back in the box. Put the game back on the shelf. It's fantasy land. It doesn't really, you didn't really gain anything but a little bit of family pride that you won or something. And I think the key is it all goes back in the box. All your money, all your stuff is ultimately going to go back in the box. Greed treats the temporal as if it were eternal. It treats material goods and money as if it lasts forever, but it doesn't. And greed treats the eternal as if it doesn't exist. God wants us to change our attitudes on that. In verse 8, he says, having food and clothing with these, shall we be content? Having food and clothing with these, shall we be content? What that tells me is the, the, the flip side of that, the opposite of that is greed is never satisfied. Greed is never satisfied. The more we have, the more we think we need. Um, companies are brilliant at marketing to this lack of satisfaction in what we have. Um, Apple is like king of this. If you're an Apple person and you stand out for Black Friday to get the latest iPad or latest iPhone or whatever, and people are fighting over this kind of stuff. But Apple's already got you figured out because they have the iPhone 52 already ready to go. And you're going to have to buy 17 models before you get to that. And they know you and I will pay for it because we're never satisfied. It's got this new little feature, this new little ga gadget that I got to have, I got to have, I got to have. And that will even put it on credit because I got to have it now instead of being patient. I said got to. You got to have it. At its core, greed is an attempt to be happy through material gain. Ultimately, at its core, greed is an attempt to be happy by material and monetary gain. But here's the deal. You and I were not created to find happiness in money and material stuff. We weren't. We were created by God to find happiness and joy in Him. That's why pursuing material gain for a, for a sense of happiness and identity does not satisfy the things that God has put into our life, he's given for us to enjoy, you bet. And he's given for us to enjoy to his glory and to, to be generous with, but never to replace our deepest need. And our deepest need is not physical or material. Our deepest need is inward, it's spiritual. Then in verse 9, he says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Here's what I, I thought about this. Greed never solves anything. It just creates bigger problems. How true is that? Greed creates debt. Debt is a major problem. It is a the more in debt you are, you're enslaved to that debt rather than being free to use God's money the way he wants you to use it and to be able to be generous. And so greed creates debt, and, and we're deceived to think we really need something now. 
And instead of saving for it, we go into debt and just build bigger and bigger debt. Greed causes fights in marriage. It causes wars between nation, nations. So the desire for more makes us make some foolish decisions. It does. And then in verse 10, he said, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Notice that he didn't say money is the root of all evil. That's misquoted often. The love of money, an exorbitant love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So what do we say about that then? Greed is a deadly sin. That's why greed is a deadly sin. Greed's a deadly sin because it it preys on our weakness. It preys on our weak flesh that's got to have things now, and I got to have more. And it preys on our lack of faith, right? Because greed doesn't believe that God will provide. Greed doesn't believe that God himself is enough. And so greed preys on those weaknesses of lack of faith and and just the weak desires that we have. I have a, uh, I have a pastor friend who I met years and years ago. I used to go to this pastor's meeting. And he shared at the meeting a little bit of his testimony that he said years ago he got into the, the health and wealth gospel where God wants everybody to be wealthy and you should never be sick. You'll never go through any health crisis if you really have enough faith. That is hogwash. That is not what Jesus taught. Jesus said, we're going to go through trials and tribulations in this world, but to take courage, he's overcome. That doesn't mean God doesn't want us to prosper and we shouldn't pray for healing. Of course we should. But prospering to God is inward more than it is outward. It's prospering in our character. It's prospering inwardly. But anyway, he was... He believed that theology that if you give, you're going to get. So if I give, I'm going to get back a hundredfold. If I, if I give, then I'm going to be rich and all of that. Well, the problem was his theology wasn't working for him. And so he took matters into his own hands, and he began to skim off the offerings. He began to buy new clothes, new cars by just embezzling from the church. And uh, one day as he was doing that, the Lord challenged him and convicted the fire out of him and said, what you're doing is wrong. And you've been believing this wrong way of thinking when it comes to me and money. And he said in that moment, he repented to God and he said he was sorry. And he went to his church family and the the elders and he said, guys, this is what I've been doing and I've been wrong. And he said, do with me what you feel is right when it comes to me as your pastor and what I've been doing but I'm right with God, and I'm going to head in the right direction from here on out. Well, they restored him, which was cool. They restored him, and and, uh, he went on to, you know, continue in in serving God that way. But when we get greedy and we think we need more, it can cloud your judgment. We need to be on guard in every way. It's tax season. Don't cheat on your taxes. You're going to be tempted to to fudge numbers and this and that so that you save a little bit more. And it may seem like a little thing to you, but it's a big thing to God. It's a big thing to God that you and I are trying to walk in integrity in every way possible and don't let greed have its way. Years ago, we bought a TV on Amazon. 
And they sent us two accidentally. We were like, is this a gift from God? Like, this is kind of cool. Like, we had an extra TV. And we were like, no way. We got to send this back. This is not a gift from God. This is a test (laughs) on will we walk in integrity. We didn't pay for two TVs, so we shipped it back. It's little things. I'm not bragging. I, I got temptations and failures left and right, but in those little things, be faithful in the little things, and when the bigger temptations to be greedy come, you will have already built something in your life that, that has a resistance to greed. Ephesians 5, 5 through 7, Paul says, you can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled with those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. Don't get sucked in to somebody else's greediness. We're, we're Christ's followers. We, we need to walk in integrity. And he says that a greedy person is an idolater. When we think of idolatry, we always think of like wood carvings or statues and that kind of stuff. But the real idols, an idol is anything that replaces God in your life. An idol is something that, that you, you find, if you find, don't find your self-worth, self-esteem, hope in God, then you're going to find it in an idol. And an idol becomes your functioning God. If you find your self-worth in something, if you find your identity, if you put your hope in something other than God, it's become an idol to you. Job, 401k, a person, God is, is it. Let him be your hope. Let him be your identity. Let him be your self-worth. And from there, live your life. So how do we overcome greediness? How do we overcome that? I would say, as I prayed through this, I thought of three things. I'm going to give them to you. First of all, pursue true wealth in Christ. Pursue true riches, so to speak, in Christ. Because true riches, true wealth is not physical, it's spiritual. It's knowing who we are in Jesus. In Ephesians 3, verse 16 through 19, Paul says this in his prayer for the the Ephesians. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, let me stop there, his riches being spiritual are inward and eternal, inward and eternal. Earthly riches are outward and not eternal, the opposite. He says that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Wow. You don't know what to pray? Pray that over yourself. Pray that over your kids. Pray that over your spouse. And just change the terminology there. And you're praying the word of God over, over, your, over yourself and over others. But because of Jesus, we are spiritual billionaires, so to speak. Because the Bible says that everything that is Christ's has now become ours. We are joint heirs, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. 
Have you ever stopped and contemplated that? You're an heir. Whatever is his is yours. Sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? He's given us, 2 Peter 1 says, everything we need for life and godliness. You lack nothing. You lack nothing. We just need to learn how to access it. Everything's been given to us in the person and work of Jesus. Let's learn how to access that and be rich toward God. The other thing about pursuing true wealth in in Jesus, true riches in him, is according to Jesus, it, it seems like we have some sort of spiritual bank account in heaven, an account waiting for us in heaven. And how you and I live our life, how we handle our money, how we handle our stuff, how generous we are, is putting treasures in heaven. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And he said that don't store your treasure here in banks and this and that. Store your treasure in heaven where moth and rust and thieves can't touch it. So every time you and I give, every time we're generous, every time we, we, we look at God's stuff and say, God, what do you want me to do with it? And we're obedient. We're putting uh, an, a deposit in our heavenly account for eternity. I want that thing to be huge, way more than my 401k here, which isn't a whole lot anyway. So honest, I want to deposit into what's coming for us in the future. Jesus said, you're more blessed when you give than when you receive. Do you know that unbelievers even know that truth? You read, just you see how many billionaires are learning to give away their fortunes. Because that's just a principle, whether you believe in God or not, to give is better than to receive. They're not getting any reward for it. But the feeling and the understanding of it is a, is, is a principle that, you know, stands the test of time. I've said this before. You've never heard somebody say, hey, I tried that generosity thing. It just didn't work out for me. Ah, it just, nah. Nobody says that. Because when you're generous, you get it. It becomes a way of life. It becomes a lifestyle. So secondly then, how to overcome greediness, pursue true wealth in Christ, and then plan out your generosity. Generosity is the antidote to greed. Because we're born with a greedy nature, it's not going to come natural to be generous. It's not. It's going to take intentional planning of your life to be generous. A couple things to, to ponder. I wrote some thoughts out, and some of this comes right out of Andy Stanley's book that we're studying as, as in home groups as well. But <clears throat> first of all, is my stuff really my stuff? You heard Amy quote Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. Is my stuff really my stuff? Uh, Psalm 24.1 says everything's God's. So your stuff is not your stuff. The quicker you and I get a, a change in our mentality, that everything I have is on loan from God. You are a manager of God's stuff. And you get to use it and, and, and all of that to his glory, use it with a thankful heart, but never forget where it came from and whose it ultimately really is. Second question, why does God give us more than we need? Why does he give you more than you need? And you might think to yourself, well, I don't have more than I need. Well, you might not have all your wants, but you do have your needs. God has promised to meet every need in our life. He didn't promise to meet every want. And don't compare yourself to somebody else who has more money or more stuff than you. 
every single person in this room, and I'm not talking down to you, I'm talking to myself this morning too, that no matter, the poorest person in this room is richer than 95% of the world, period. So every single one of us is rich when it comes to the rest of the world, and God gives us more than we need. Why? So that we'd be generous with it, so that we would learn to help others. How much is enough? That's a good question. How much do I really need? How much do I need to live on? Not how much do I want, but how much do I really need? And then what should I do with what's left over? In other words, when I pay my bills, when I give, and I have left over, what should I do with it? God, what do you want me to do with your money? God, what do you want me to do with your stuff? Then I would say this, don't feel guilty for what you have, you're just a manager. Some of us, some of you have more than others to manage, like you, you have, you, God has just given you more to, to manage of his stuff. Don't feel guilty if you're wealthy or you're successful or you're an entrepreneur. That's a good thing. God has raised you up to help fund the kingdom of God and to help other people fund the kingdom of God. What a great calling that is. And then lastly, don't wait, God, don't wait for God to change your heart. Change your heart by being generous. If you pray a prayer, oh, Lord, make me generous, you still have to step out. You have to write the check. You have to give over your stuff or be, be uh, faithful with your stuff. We talked about this during the generosity series last summer, but it's something that's worth repeating. There's two attitudes that can happen when it comes to, to money and possessions. You can have a scarcity mentality or an abundance mentality. Scarcity is this. If I give... What's going to be left over for me? So how much I give determines on how much is left over for me. Now, Jesus said that generosity can be measured by what's left over when I give. When he talked about the, the lady and she gave the, the widow's mite, and you know other people were given way more money than her, he said she gave out of her poverty. She gave everything she had. So generosity is measured by how much is left over. And this isn't to make anybody feel guilty. This is to apply God's principles to our life because he wants to bless us. He really does. An abundance mentality says, number one, it's all God's anyway. And so when I give it away, I can't outgive God and he'll always provide for what I need. And I will live in abundance rather than scarcity. Abundance is it's not mine. I'm going to give it away. Know that God will provide back. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8, I believe. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. There's a promise, there's a principle right there. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So we got to plan out our generosity. There's a a reward, a principle, a promise that's there. How do we plan it out? Two things on this. First of all, I would say practice percentage giving. Learn to practice percentage giving. I'm sure many in this church give a percentage of your income uh, to the local church on a weekly, monthly basis. 
And it's very biblical to practice percentage giving. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, you're just a pastor. Pastors just want everybody's money. No, I don't. I could care less. I want you to be blessed. I want you to be a, 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 a flourishing disciple of Jesus when it comes to handling your money. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, he instructs the church. He says, on the beginning of the week, on the Lord's day, bring a, in, in proportion with your income a sum to the church. So a percentage in proportion with your income. That means it's not equal giving, it's equal sacrifice. It's equal sacrifice that we all participate, not just a few. In most churches, in most local churches, 20% of the people do 80% of the serving and 80% of the giving. It shouldn't be that way. We're disciples of Jesus. Let's flip that at our church where 80%, at least 80% of the people or 100% are doing the serving and the giving and not just taking. That's important. So we give a, a percentage. And I know this. Two things people hate is when you tell them how to raise their kids and when you tell them how to spend their money. But again, this isn't about me or any person. This is about God. And I'm just telling you principles that are in the Bible. 99% of the time when I sit down with somebody whose finances are no good or in disarray, they're not giving a percentage of their income to the local church. So if Novation Church is your home, it is your community, then Novation Church should get the first fruits off of you know, your, your offering and your generosity. If Novation Church isn't your home or you go somewhere else, your local church should get the first fruits of your income. This is the area where God one time says, test me, Malachi 3. He says to test him in the area of, of giving, percentage giving. So some people say, is it 10%? Is it this? Is it that? Start somewhere and do it cheerfully, like Paul said. Start somewhere. It will put a, it, it will break the back of materialism in your life, and you'll realize, I always have more than I need when I'm giving. It's just the way the principle of how God works in this. And the second thing I would say is this. Prepare your heart for spontaneous giving. Practice percentage giving, but then prepare your heart. Pray about it. Lord, this is your stuff. How do you want me to bless somebody? Maybe you have a home that has an extra room and you can let somebody that needs a place to stay. You offer your own home in hospitality. That's a form of spontaneous generosity. Maybe it's a good thing to have like a, a, a generosity savings account that you put money into. And so when the, the need arises and you're the answer to someone's prayer, you can give. Like, that's kind of a cool thing. There's nothing funner than being used by God to meet a need in somebody else's life. How many know that's exhilarating? It's better than, than getting is giving. Last point, if we're going to overcome greediness, is practice contentment in simplicity. Practice contentment in simplicity. In Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, the writer of Hebrews says this, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. 
what can mere mortals do to me? It's pretty awesome. I, was, I read a book years ago by a man named Richard Foster. It's called The Celebration of the Disciplines. And in that book, he goes over the disciplines of a disciple of Jesus, prayer, Bible reading, fasting, fellowship. And one of the disciplines was the discipline of simplicity. And he gave a list of things to help us um, live a simple life. And here's, here's what he said. Here's some practical suggestions. First of all, buy things for their usefulness rather than their status. When you go to buy a car, you go to buy a house, buy it for its practicability, its usefulness more than how many looks am I going to get or is this going to be the coolest car or whatever on the planet. Secondly, he said, reject anything that is producing an addiction in you. Anything in your life that is producing some sort of addiction, reject that. Then he said, deaccumulate and develop a habit of giving things away. Teach your kids when they get 22 bags of stuffed animals to give away something that's gently used to somebody else that doesn't have that. Teach them when they're really little to the, the, the generosity of, in, in giving things away. Deaccumulate, declutter. Not just declutter, but deaccumulate. And then be aware of the latest new thing. Talked about that with iPhones and iPads. And then learn how to enjoy things without owning them, like parks, the outdoors, libraries. Those are things that don't cost anything that you can enjoy. And then don't do buy now, pay later. If I can beg of you, as a 51-year-old man who's raised kids, avoid buy now, pay later at all costs. Learn to save your money and then pay for it when the time comes. You will love me for, for, for remembering that if you actually do that or, you, or whoever has already taught you that. That's just Bible. Like We don't want to be a slave to debt ever. It never works out. We're going to move into communion and finish with communion. And I can think of no greater physical demonstration of putting to death greed and becoming generous in our life because the most generous act ever was John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, for God so loved you and I, He gave. He gave. God is a generous, giving God. And He gave that we may have life, that we may have freedom, that we may have forgiveness of our sins. As we move in to take the bread and, and the juice, today I would just challenge you, first of all, if you're not sure whether you're a follower of Jesus or you're his disciple or that you've trusted him as savior, today's the day. And you can take that bread and you can take that cup in confidence and know that your sins have been forgiven. He died on the cross for you and rose again. And all of us together as we take today as his disciples, we're remembering his body that was broken and beaten and his blood that was shed that he gave, he gave. He was generous so that we could have life. We're going to celebrate that together. If you want to move to the two tables, grab the bread and the cup, and then go back to your seat, and we'll take it together.
On the night he was betrayed, Jesus was with his disciples and he had just finished, you know, washing their feet earlier and serving them and he was trying to show them all that was to come and what he was about to fulfill. Because all they knew was the Passover and all they knew was the blood of animals being sacrificed for atonement and forgiveness of sin. And yet here, the King of Kings, God in the flesh, was before them in a humble posture. And he took the bread and he, he lifted it to heaven and he blessed it. And he said, this bread represents my body, which is going to be broken and beaten for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. Let's do that. After supper, the gospel says that Jesus took a cup of wine and he lifted it to heaven and he blessed it as well. He told his disciples, he said, this cup, this wine represents the blood of the new covenant, the new covenant that God was making through Jesus with humanity. Not just the Jewish people anymore or any one person, but to all the table was now open to his life. A covenant that was sealed with his own death and blood. And he said that's the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And we can look to him today as we look at this cup. It represents forgiveness. It represents that the old is passed away and all things have been made new. We're new creations in Christ. Receive that today as we take the cup together. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. And give you his peace from this day forevermore. May you understand who you are in Christ. May we walk away from here generous people with the, the back of backbone of greed having been broken by the generosity that was shown to us in Christ, that we live that out as his people. For his glory we pray. Amen.